Welcome everybody to the Faking Notes notes Podcast. Podcast, podcast, podcast. Woo! Okay, let's talk about some news. There's been a lot going on in the music world. We got a little hit piece on a company called Hit Piece. (laughs) We're going to talk about. Uh, But let's get caught up. I know we've been doing a lot of different series on things you need to know, like money and value. And we've had a slew of awesome guests doing awesome things. But we wanted to talk a little bit today about what's going on in the landscape right around now. And so there's a lot been brewing in we got NFTs, we've got Spotify, which we'll talk about in the very next episode. But let's do a little bit about our own lives. So, Drew, anything exciting happen in your life? Uh, I caught COVID. Woo! Let's yeah, go. Boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I went on a nice long trip with Michelle and grew up in New York, staying at your place. Thank you once again, brother. It's a cute little spot you got. It's a great part of Brooklyn, like very accessible. Nice, healthy walk to the subway station. Ain't hurt nobody. You know what I mean? It's the goals. Oh, yeah. I have to exercise somehow. Oh, dude. Like that pizza's not going to work itself off. You know? Um, But yeah, we think we got it at a New Year's party. One of my high school best friends, his name is Alex Chumbly. He's a cellist. And I play with his mom. When I go back to Atlanta, she's a wonderful pianist and the person who inspired me to go to Juilliard in the first mm-hmm. place. I was spending New Year's with him. And um, yeah, it was just, you know, people getting together in a place like New York that was a hot spot. You know, it could have been anything. It could have been me riding the subway. But anyway, I got it. She didn't. Okay. I was all boosted before I even <laughs> went there. And I was like, okay. I can't get more immunized than I am right now. And uh, yeah, she never got it. And we were together the whole time, you know. So what are you going to do? I guess doctors just have a little bit of immunity. (laughs) She knows the secrets. Yeah, she do. We know a ton of people. We met some of them at the wedding, which is my exciting news. Finally happened, folks. He's off the market, ladies. I'm off. Hey, ladies. Ladies, you missed out. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got I, the ring is on the finger. Yeah. Uh, sale is closed. But <laughs> the biometric ring. Yeah. <laughs> taking, taking track of your heartbeat and your sleep patterns. Yeah, man. No, it's true. I, I got it on now because I'm a big old loser. You know, I just, it. I'm just so athletic. I need to keep track of all of Woo. these things. But we had an awesome wedding. I'm so happy Drew was able to come through. And it was beautiful. I'll keep thinking about that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And like Especially. now we are actually on, we are recording a podcast live from my honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you got to keep sticking into business. Like I know hey, that's I'm, how much we care about y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Patreon supporters, Discord members, faking fan. We do this when we're supposed to be on break. I know. No, yeah, the hustle never stops. Mm-hmm. The pot. Facts. Um, and so the podcast is a big part of my relationship. So I have to do it on my honeymoon just to solidify <laughs> the importance. Cosmate podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but man, it's been an awesome couple of weeks. And yeah, a lot going on in the music world. Um, we've had some deaths recently that we didn't get to address. We've got Stephen Sondheim. Mm. We've got George Crumb recently just passed. So for our hit piece discussion, the date is, it is February 10th, 2020. So Mm. with a fast moving and evolving situation, we want to discuss that. But 
also yesterday, I believe, was John Williams' 90th birthday. Sheesh. So we'll, we'll have to get him on the pod, you know. Get, go, get yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so what was it like writing for Harry Potter? Yeah. And this, and this movie, and this movie, and, and Star this movie, Wars. and this movie. Yeah. But we are at this turning point. There's a lot of these older composers, big or small, in the grand screams of their career, but have had impact on the field. They're getting up there. And there's an immense amount of wisdom and knowledge that I just want to extract to gain from them so that they can pass it on. Because I think a lot of these people, we've gotten a, a lot of interesting interviews. There's great interviews of Sondheim. Obviously, John Williams, fascinating person. To have been s- such pivotal people in their fields for so long, I think that's what's special. They were around for a long time. You got Stephen Sondheim all the way back to West Side Story, and then still working on things up until uh, his passing. John Williams, obviously, he just loves to write music. He's still around. Lots of great quotes, but we can dig into their lives at like a later date, but it's just neat to see from them a couple of learnings and just the longevity. For all of them, they all overcame massive flops or late starts. They all adapted with their times, but still kind of stuck to their guns. And they really did seem to have a love for what they are doing. So many of our listeners, of course, have heard of Stephen Sondheim and musical theater, and then John Williams. But also we have George Crumb, who was, I think he also crossed into the 90s as well. But he was a pivotal person in the like classical music, contemporary classical music space. He kind of emerged, took his time. He would have missed every one of these emerging composer awards. <laughs> like he he wouldn't have won a single one of them. He kind of like bided his time and then kind of came out of nowhere, as it's described to me. You had a lot of serialist music, really mathematical music. And then you're also getting a lot of like minimalist music coming out there. And so there was these quote unquote warring factions for just different styles of music. And then this guy comes out with something completely out of left field. It's just like odd, beautiful, sinister, timbral thing. It, it feels like theater. You watch some of his things, like Voice of the Whale. Awesome, awesome piece. And you just feel like you're experiencing something, like a, a ritual, something ancient, like his piece, like the ancient voices of children. And there's nothing quite like it. The recordings don't really capture it, uh, you just kind of have to see it live because it's virtuosic, but there's just something really pure about it. And he kept a low profile. He had a lot of impact in this little niche space, comes into it late, does something special, but it never seemed like he tried to like force himself into history, into the field. He was just him. He's got a lot of successful students as well. But from each of these older greats, there is certainly something to learn from by looking at that past and not forgetting what they did, how they went about things in their life. And it'd be great to speak to others like this before their passing. Can I share a couple of like really cool things about George Crumb? Let's hear it. He was born five days before Black Tuesday, October 24th, 1929 in uh, Charleston, West Virginia. 
And so Black Tuesday was October 29th, 1929. Five days later, we had the greatest in in the world, actually, but like in, in America, especially the greatest depression of economic activity ever. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but what's really cool that I, I just a little bit of research on George Crumb is like, you know, the seagull effect on oh, yeah. uh, the, the cello, Daniel? Uh, sure. The it's like the series of har- uh, natural harmonics that you use as you play a string, and you go up the string lightly yeah, touching it's like, it. It's like what all my students like to do, like my yeah. beginners, like mm-hmm. the firefighter. Mm-hmm. And I get like super annoyed when like ten kids are doing that in one time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so that's jo- George. That, that's, it, that's his fault. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. his fault. Okay. All right. Thanks, George. Yeah, you real one, but. Speaking of like what Trevor was talking about, what's really fascinating about you know his foray into the avant-garde music and just avant-garde music in general, it's kind of a result of the Great War and like all those artists that fought in the war were affected by the war, saw the destruction of the war, the horror of the war. It changed their perception of humanity, the existence of being a human. And it, it kind of like in conjunction with people kind of getting tired of like the, the traditional chromaticism, they were horrified and they needed to make music that kind of like reflected the unsettling nature and the emotional scarring that happened during that war. And World War II also, you know, just like one of the most crazy destructive wars in human history. It also affected that and people didn't have the same taste, at least in the avant-garde space, didn't have the same taste for chromaticism that gave way to the serialist, you know, mathematical music that you know, Trevor was talking about. Because art is a reflection of life. You know, it's a, it's a reflection of human consciousness through time. And so I just find it really interesting, you know, that there are people that, you know, went one way with jazz and with another way with this avant-garde classical music. And still you see the influences of both of those branches of the musical tree still having a conversation dialogue with each other. And I don't know, I, I haven't, like prior to this episode, I hadn't really looked into George Crumb outside of music history. Because, you know, we all studied Black Angels for our yeah. know, conservatory listening. The Norton Anthology of Western Music. Which, fun fact, was my first postgraduate internship was working at Norton. So No. I got, yeah, for three months I had to like work my job was to update a bunch of spreadsheets of like what audio files were working and where were they linked in the site. It seemed like busy work, but it was fascinating. It was fascinating to actually read those books after graduation. <laughs> I was like, damn, there's some like, there's some, some like good, good stuff in there. This is like, this is some good stuff. Why did I read this? When I, was, yeah, I probably like, would have done better in class. Yeah, that would have helped. For, no, I was asleep. <laughs> for George Crumb. The famous one is Black Angels. It's written about Vietnam. It's for electric string quartet. It's super metal. It's super out there. Those interested in the visual aspect of sheet music, it's beautiful. Go look at it. There's bending lines. It's arrows. The score comes in and out. And you can kind of see the care and obsession with the little details, with time, it doesn't really look like a lot of things you see. And really cool piece. The one I'd recommend to everyone, though, as I wouldn't say necessarily a easier listening, but to some degree that is, is Voice of the Whale. Like Vox, uh, I can't pronounce it. 
Fox Bellene, Bellene, I don't have it written down, but um, Voice of the Whale. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. That's the flute trio, right? Yep. And that's, you get the seagull, you get some glass and the piano strings, but Balané, Balané. Yeah, to see these played live, that's what you want to do. Even something uh, more out there, you get your John Cage, famous for 4.33, 4 minutes, 33 seconds of mm. silence, in air quotes, silence. But going to see some of those other pieces, he's got a lot of music out there. You can't pop that in the CD player and have a good time. If you go and watch it live, you really get the performance art side of it, the visual aspect, the experience of hearing it in a space. And so with a lot of these types of musics, I recommend going and seeing it live. It's almost the practically the only way to really get it. And then suddenly you're like, wow, that was special. It's like watching those very beautiful movies, like a parasite or something, where you're like, wow, I feel like I'm witnessing art rather than just going to a movie. <laughs> Or, wow, I feel like I'm witnessing art instead of just going to a, a concert. It's special. And so fascinating lives for all of these composers. I think it'd be good for us to have some of that generation while they're alive uh, to, to roll through on the pod. But if it's okay with you guys, I think let's take an immense pivot away from the life of 90-year-olds and their contributions to society to recent contributions to our current society we've got this organization company evil empire who knows what it's called called hit peace if anyone has been on twitter facebook social media email carrier pigeon anytime soon you've seen one of your musician friends one of your creator friends losing their shit piece over hit piece and we're going to dive into the nft stuff we're going to talk about it. But I think the overarching question is, is this a problem? Should you care about this? And what does this even mean for you? And so Hit Piece is simply this company that was going out and the idea was to NFT every song, like every track, every piece. Mm -hmm. But there's a problem. <laughs> they were going out to do it and it didn't involve any of the creators of this art. They were simply listing up other people's stuff and we're going to sell the NFTs to it for their profit. For their profit. And so it I mean maybe in the minutia it might say that hey technically this isn't affiliated, you know, if you went out and tried to sell a baseball card that you just printed out of your own printer and we're running around and going to sell it and then the person the the player on the baseball card, the major league baseball ESPN or whatever weren't going to get a cut of that, they're probably pretty pissed, right? And so you're, we bumped into a, a situation like that with this thing called Hit Piece. And so I, we were just scrolling through Twitter late one night, and then it seemed like almost everyone I knew was just infuriated, losing it. Mm -hmm. NFT scams, killing the rainforest. What is this, people? I'm contacting my lawyers. And it didn't matter where you were, big or small. There's a yeah. good chance they were listing up one of your things. It looks like they just combed through Spotify mm -hmm. and then just started like listing things up. And so not rightfully even them. So, I think they used yeah. a bot. I think oh, they used oh a yeah. Bot. Yeah. It, I mean, you had to, it's just it's too big. I it's mean, just big. for the the tier of people wherever they were in their career, like almost everyone was getting hit. And so rightfully so, uh, they were infuriated. <laughs> so it's established that. Not a good look. But 
you know, is this a flash in the pan? Is this something to be concerned about for the future? What even is this situation? Do you want to take over, Drew? Yeah, man. So one thing that we really need to stress here is the deep illegality of their actions. Essentially what this person or group of people did was infringing upon the rights of everyone who didn't agree to have their music there. Like there's something to be said about having intellectual property being stolen. It's even to the point in America that like, if you're really making a big production, like a TV show or a photo shoot or anything, like if you've ever participated in that and they're not just like some poor YouTuber like me, they will have everybody whose face is shown on camera sign a waiver. And if a waiver was not signed by a person in the show or in the shoot, their face will be blurred out. Because you, as a person in the United States, have the rights to your image. And any profit taking off of your image without your consent is illegal. And you can sue for that. So when you're doing any production of any kind and your face is showing up in something like a TV show or like a publication and you didn't give your permission, you can sue them. I just want you to know that. It doesn't matter if it's a YouTube video. It doesn't matter if it's this or that. Like you can sue them. When I was doing YouTube boot camps, they talked about this extensively. You need to have forms for shoot days, right? So if your face, <laughs> if you have the rights to your physical image and you have to sign that away, it is not a leap to say that you have the rights to the music that you create, especially if you've already trademarked it, you've already copywritten it, it's already published elsewhere. So this was deeply illegal. And I think that, you know, in 2022, there are many actors out there that you know, care less about the legality of what they're doing, care less about whether or not the press is good or bad. Because at the end of the day, guess what? We're talking about hit piece right now when it is competing actively with platforms like OpenSea, Mint Songs, Sound Exchange. There's so many other players, but guess who we're talking about right now? So I think that this was a marketing ploy, honestly. I, I don't think that they it meant seems to make like any it. money. I think this was purely marketing. And, you know, their website says now, like, uh, we started the conversation. Now we're here to listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for everyone. Bullshit. Yeah, they're getting – it doesn't look like they'll get money for ad traffic. But, yeah, hitpiece.com, we started the conversation and we're listening, which is the most stereotypical <laughs> – it drips white privilege. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's yeah. what that sounds like to me. Yeah. But anyway, We're what makes me angry about what happened here, like I didn't even care enough to check if they stole my stole my music and NFT'd it, like it was whatever. I don't care. But what's really interesting is how it is yet another example of negative press for a technology that I truly believe is not only the future of our industry, but also a positive future for artists and creators the world over. What do you think, Trevor? That was the biggest bummer uh, because, of course, we all are talking about it. 
were working at Coda Labs to go out and use NFTs for ticketing. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that is a bummer because it's just going to slow down the like positive progress, the positive developments, and to be able to move forward, it's going to turn people off and it's going to take a lot of legwork to undo the damage. I think one of the biggest issues is just what is happening with this whole NFT thing to begin with and where it's now been associated directly that NFT to the average consumer equals monkey JPEG, expensive monkey JPEG, bro, crypto bro on Twitter. And I think the hardest part is we just constantly see, and I get it, <laughs> we constantly see and hear about the scams. You don't hear about the good side of NFTs because that's not a sexy. You're going to hear about the bad stuff or the dumb stuff or some celebrities trying to shill some NFT to make money. We always see the negative, which is normal. That's how our work, brain works and how the current media and media consumer landscape is. But it's annoying because it's getting constantly blasting the NFT-ness of what is essentially exist off blockchain. Mm -hmm. You can see it in the modern art field <laughs> where it's a highly unregulated crazy thing where you can buy a $63 million urinal if it's shown as art. Like there's, there's no regulation on that. There's so many other scams. There's bootlegging. There's all these other things that we can dig into that just exist off blockchain. And the only difference is is that it's just being sucked into this NFT void. So I think the simplest thing to do for those who haven't maybe caught some of our blockchain-based conversations before is what is an NFT? Is an NFT just a expensive monkey JPEG scam? Drew, what's an NFT? Well, it stands for non-fungible token. And I honestly, I hate having to explain this over and over and over again because it's like... <laughs> It is a little bit esoteric, but essentially mm -hmm. what fungibility is, is a property where one object can be evenly exchanged for another object. So if I have one quarter and you have one quarter, we could swap quarters and both would retain their value and they would be indistinguishable from one another. What it means to be non-fungible is the exchange between two different objects. It's two objects that are distinguishable from each other. So like, for instance, if I had a dog and Trevor had a dog <laughs> and we did a dog swap, that's not an even exchange because, yeah, I get a dog back, but I don't really care about Shiloh like I would care yeah. about my dog. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And vice versa. The intrinsic value, which is also based in emotion, memory, nostalgia, love. Those are things that build the value of a non-fungible token or something that is non-fungible and creates an association with it. And it's different for every person. So like history is very dark when you look at people as fungible beings. You know, we are all non-fungible. We are all unique and valuable and priceless, right? So what's really interesting is it's just a representation of a transaction or a token or an object in the digital space. That's what a non-fungible token is. And so what this can apply to 
is honestly up to the imagination. The application for this is insane. It's really hard to wrap your mind around. Another thing I want to define before we get into it is the idea of a smart contract, right? We talked about this with Yuga Kohler, and he gave a much better definition than I'm about to give. Um, But the way I think about it is like a, a smart contract is a line of code that can execute an if-then statement if conditions are met. So essentially a contract is just an agreement, right? So it's a piece of code that's an agreement. And if the input agreement is fulfilled, the output agreement will be fulfilled. For example, if you give me $3, I'm going to give you this chocolate bar, right? And you can write a smart contract code for that. If you give me a down payment, I'm going to give you the deed for this house. That could also be a smart contract in an NFT. So, and I think it's important to say, well, doesn't this happen like now in the real world? Kind of, but no. So the difference here is that it's handled by a line of code. It's written in there, and that instead of Drew and I going to now in the real world, an arbiter, someone in the middle, I want to buy Drew's three dollar chocolate bar. I'm like, it's delicious. He said it was three bucks. I'm going to give him three bucks right now. We'd There's somebody to, in, the middle in the middle saying, like, give me 47 cents on this transaction. We have to hand it over. Even like unless I drove to him, hand him cash, mm-hmm. and then we exchange right there. Venmo is the middleman. PayPal, that MasterCard, swiping the card. There's always someone in the middle taking the fees to execute that. Mm-hmm. And so smart contracts could be more efficient. But here's also the thing is that it's the safety and security it's the whole point of this blockchain that you can look at that code. People can proof it. They can check it. They can analyze it. It's also how exploitations happen. Because we're so early, we're still figuring it out. And we we read about these in the news where so-and-so is getting swindled or scammed and there's there's a crack in the code. That is, of course, one of the downsides. One of the benefits, though, is that a lot of people are laying eyes on this. They're checking it. They're proofing it. They're not going to run and risk their life, but you can see and risk their money by going through something that's shady and like, has it been like really checked and verified. And so it's like, you can look at the code, you have access to it. Everyone can see it and they can see how it is going to be executed. So it becomes trustless. You can, you can trust that it will be executed. There's no middle person. What it says is what it does. I Mm. give them the money. It will give me the chocolate as long as we're able to execute it. So it is that contract, which is just an agreement between two entities or two or more entities. Can I share something as well? Like this is nascent technology. Everything that we enjoy today was at one time nascent technology that was taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. Remember, let's stay on the financial system, right? When banks were first enacted, (laughs) right? You just put a bunch of gold in one place that's pretty attractive to people that want to steal that gold. You know what? Steal it. They did. They got weapons. They put up militias. They tore down buildings and they stole the gold because that's (laughs) theirs, right? It's theirs now. People built castles. Can't take my gold, you know? And still that didn't stop armies from scaling those walls and trying to plunder the gold, right? Well, we got to the point where we were like, okay, well, let's just like not have gold. (laughs) Let's just make fiat (laughs) currency. And if somebody robs a bank and steals this made up fiat currency, like it's not like people lose money, 
we can just mark those notes as like stolen and just make more, right? So it, it disincentivizes. I think that as smart contract risk becomes less and less of an issue. And also what's really interesting is what is the incentive of cracking and stealing money from a smart contract? Uh, the money. Well, what's really interesting is a lot of protocols have what are called bounty programs. So it incentivizes people to crack the code. And if you can crack the code and show a, an incentive, these protocols are offering millions of dollars to people from their coffers, from their war chest, from the protocol's money pool to people that will hack it for payment. And honestly, it's like a really great incentive because like if you like hacking and you want to do better for the whole ecosystem, you can hack for good. And I think just these types of incentive programs are really creating a healthy ecosystem that is going to continue to improve in, in the future. And to take us on this journey back towards hit piece and how it applies yeah. to your music, mm-hmm. it is a valid question. Well, what prevents people from doing this? Like, you know, it's blockchain, you can, it's unregulated, you can do everything, but not exactly like Drew was talking about with your image, like you still have rights. Things can be put on the blockchain. And for instance, with hit piece, clearly, at least leaning towards that kind of marketing scam, like they know they can't do it. You can technically put anything on this blockchain, but if it is a scam, if they're getting bad press, it's useless. No one wants to buy it. So this is where we get back into the kind of artness of this, the, the the goofiness of this side of things. Because if I run around my little iPhone and I take photos of a Van Gogh or something or a Monet, like I go up, I take a photo of it and I sell it, it's very clearly not the real thing. There's no value to it. If I'm like, this is an original and they're like, hey, I can see the flash of your iPhone 11. Like this isn't it. It's a scam. Like no one will buy it. It doesn't have the value. What makes these NFTs get a little too sky high and the whole just art in general is the perceived value. If you're buying an original, it's more valuable. You're buying a first edition, more valuable. Is that first edition really any different than the Kindle version you can get of any book? No, but you have a greater attached value to it. The artist made this. It's limited. So my favorite part is everyone's laughing about the artificialness of the NFTs. You can just right-click and save the JPEG. Most of those memes are really funny, by the way, I will say. But um, (laughs) they're a little tired, but they're funny for the first uh, couple of months. But everyone laughs about this, and I'm like, uh, hello, look out into the real world right now. (laughs) We already talked about this, diamonds and, and art itself and first editions. And printing books is easy to do now. We got Kindles. We're already creating kind of artificial value from scarcity in the existing world. And so it makes sense that when we're doing a new version of this, a digitized thing, it has some reflections of the world it's emerging from. We enjoy scarcity. We do it all the time by buying overpriced items or things we don't exactly need or buying that fancier version or that nice print versus just snapping the photo on the phone. There's a lot more to it and it just makes sense that if you're going into a new space that can utilize art, that it's going to bring a lot of the existing art market in here. We just think there's a lot more value in the the perks, the positives, the new things, like it being traceable, being a, able 
to send value back to the artist beyond its first initial selling, its ability to prevent fraud. It's kind of the the frustrating part about this NFT thing is that we're going to see fraud. These are made by humans. It's a nascent technology, like Drew said. You're going to have fraud. We have fraud everywhere in the real world right now. That's not like a, hey, let's justify this for this new technology. But it exists everywhere right now. You've got major banks committing fraud, Wells Fargo, all these other banks going out and doing things now. And these are major institutions going out and doing crazy criminal things. I think it's tough because, of course, the selling point is that, oh, blockchain's going to change, you know, change everything. There's a lot of perks that can help prevent fraud and security and all these other things. And when it doesn't deliver on that promise, it makes sense that it's going to get bashed a little more. The types of people promoting it are a little annoying online. <laughs> but I think where we, we will bump into this thing with hit piece is that, yes, they can put this up. This will not be the first time we bump into this problem. It's going to happen again. But we know it's a fraud. We recognize it's a fraud. No one's going out there to buy this. It do, it's not going to have that value. And it can get shut down. It worked. It's not like it's up there for all to see. It got shut down. Can I share a couple of thoughts too? Yeah. So let's just go back to like the JPEG for a second. The community has to believe it. So even if you right click on something, it doesn't mean that you own it. And right now, a lot of people don't understand this necessarily because, you know, for right now, it's just a profile picture. It has no real use case right mm -hmm. now because it's nascent because it's early but what you will see with these nft projects is real use cases and perks and benefits of owning the nft materializing in the real world and it's already happening but you only notice this if you're like really paying close attention one of the uh examples i like to relate to this is you can take a picture of a mercedes-benz stand next to it <laughs> point to it love my new ride but at the end of the day, do you have the keys? No. So mm. you can't drive that car. Right now, if you have a bored ape and you right click it, or you have a bored ape quote with quotations and it's your profile picture, but you just right clicked it. Right now, you can front, but until you go to a bored ape yacht club party and have to show the bored ape in your wallet, not as your profile picture, where the use case comes into play. Like if you can't provide proof that you own it, you won't be able to have the perks. You're just a poser. And oftentimes you'll be ridiculed by the community. So there's going to be a lot of community pushback against posers and right clickers, which is good. And a feature that Twitter is rolling out is like, you can show that you own the NFT. That's your profile picture. Like you can sign up for the subscription and like prove your NFT ownership. So this is already evolving right before our eyes. The second little example from the real world I want to relate to you, especially for the ladies. Hey, was, ladies. Ladies. Lady listeners, we love you. My girlfriend and I were talking about it, and she showed me a TikTok that related really fancy designer bags in the designer bag industry, Louis Vuitton, Prada, and how if you bought an authentic handbag from them they would often provide you with an authenticity card that showed a serial number so you could prove that this is not a bootleg fake knockoff because there is value in owning the real thing right even though it's prohibitively expensive the same thing that's just like a physical form of an M nft 
you know, all, the only difference here is that it's a piece of paper that can get burned up. But an NFT is on the immutable blockchain operated by multiple decentralized nodes the world over. And I've already said it before, but this tech is very nascent. And the last thing that I'll really relate to you before we move on is just recent news, actually. There was a $4.5 billion hack of a cryptocurrency exchange a few years back. And it was, the hack was committed on Bitfinex. And the hackers stole like over 120,000 Bitcoin and were laundering the money. And they were recently <laughs> caught from forensic investigators of the FBI. They were the Know Your Customer, the KYC, measures of exchanges and wallets allowed a paper trail or a transaction trail yeah. on the blockchain to lead right back to them and the wallets that they own. And it proved these people stole this $4.5 billion of money. And what's really interesting is they are now being able to return some of the stolen funds back to the exchanges and the original owners of those coins. So I want somebody to tell me the last time the federal government recovered <laughs> stolen dollars and gave them back to the original owners of those dollars, well, right? Well, this wait. is an innovation. It's, it's a great story too. Uh, I wanted to make sure we brought it up because there's been some recently big hacks, a lot of bad news for crypto, which is great news for investors who are long-term because we get to buy a little more. But mm. there was a wormhole <laughs> hack on Solana. Someone yep. took 80 billion. I don't, I don't remember. It was, 200, it was 200, no, it was $325 million worth of Ethereum and wrapped Ethereum. Yeah. And they, they did that by breaking through one of these smart contracts, like finding mm. a crazy loophole uh, in the whole system. And with this particularly funny one, it winds up being $4.3 billion, billion now. Dollar. B, billion with a B. Mm. And everyone, you got to go look up this couple that did it. And then just like uh, imagine getting robbed by them. Crocodile like you gotta watch Wall Street. <laughs> yeah, you got it. You, like these are like living parodies. Her uh, name is uh, Razzle Khan. She's yeah. a rapper. Watch the videos. They're the most incredible thing. Like imagine Cringe. this. You got but you know, honestly, we should, we for should some put of these we people, should cut to like more yeah. than her videos like right here. Isn't it amazing? It's stunning. The the craziest thing about this too is that <laughs> all those people who got robbed <laughs> so many years ago hopefully would be very grateful now because they probably would have sold forever ago and like cashed in. Now the price is astronomically higher. They're probably going to make a lot of money in the end. <laughs> they would have had paper hands before uh, back selling it when it was like $4,000. And the next thing you know, uh, it's 10 times as much. But to get scammed by these people, it wasn't hard. And everyone poo-poos on it, understandably like, haha, how could this fraud happen? There are a bunch of funny tweets. Basically, they left access to the keys in the most obvious place on a cloud. So here you are, like Drew's early day bank examples. They're putting all the gold in some mediocre vault. You're going to go rob it. But this is the equivalent of a bank. Everyone puts in their money in this bank. They didn't just put it in a vault. They, they put it in a big, secure digital vault, huge bank with all security, and then they left the key under the, the mat, mat, under the yeah, like not even mat. under, like on it, like they just like <laughs> left it there, and they're like, no, we're good, we're secure, yeah, like no safety measures. So it was an easy scam, but 
in the this is the blockchain this is the wild west it's unregulated and you know crimes and and stuff you know they were able to get that money back because it's digital trails because everyone's in on this the community aspect of blockchain cuz you can see everything you don't know the person's name but you see their number you can track every transaction that's the whole point is this is all traceable and whenever they try to withdraw it or it hits a number that's associated with them Right now, because you can't spend the Bitcoin specifically uh, everywhere, right now, it's got to go back to fiat at some point. You need to sell it. It's somewhere where it's attached to your name. Mm-hmm. And that's when they got reamed. It finally was traced back to them. And so they nailed them. Well, isn't blockchain you know, scam? No. Bitcoin and all these coins, when they're treated as securities, if that's stolen, that's just as if someone went and stole my stocks or stole my shoes or broke into my house. It's still theft. It doesn't matter if it happens on a blockchain. Uh, We can laugh at these people who've gotten scammed. But like scams in reality, that is still an enforceable thing. It's a security. You might as well have gotten robbed of your gold from your house. If you got robbed from the gold from your house, the feds would be looking into it. The only difference is is they were able to recover a lot of that money. (laughs) Gary Gensler, please don't listen to Trevor. I believe that crypto digital assets are property. Not securities, okay, for the record. <laughs> but let's see, that's how that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's how, that's why the feds were able to go after specifically mm-hmm. this Bitcoin. And, and all they had to do was just sit and wait. And they don't even have to do a ton of detective work like in the past. For instance, this would have been very untraceable if it used something, you know, relatively mm-hmm. unregulated like, like the money. US yeah, like, like the US dollar, <laughs> you know, like money laundry. Like uh, maybe you yeah. can trace the the cocaine that's made it on the $100 bill. I can put that into a car yeah. wash. I saw Walter White, dude. It's fine. Yeah. It's funny. Like a lot of the problems are very similar, but there are some upsides. So for you as artists, specifically with hit piece, should you be concerned about it? I'd say no. I'd say no on the scale of things. You will see more of these things and they're just as likely to get it shut down. The benefits of this thing is it seems like because it's a nascent technology, we also have idiots executing on this too. Like going out there, they listed Metallica, the most famous band that went out to shut down people for stealing music. Metallica and Napster and all this. Like now they're, they're known more for that th- than their guitar solos. It's like they went down and they went after people stealing their music. They stood up for their rights. And so you're going to list them on this? Come on. What a, what a bold ass move. Stupid. Stupid. Idiots. And so they, they deserve it. I hope they're listening very hard to the community and uh, I, I wish them the best. But I wouldn't be too concerned uh, about this particular thing. It's annoying. I get it. It's frustrating. And it has that nice, beautiful, shiny allure of a scam because this particular instance is that. It is illegal. I wouldn't be too concerned. And just just like think about it. You're an artist and you have fans. If you want to sell an NFT, if you want to mint an NFT, you are the only arbiter because your fans are becoming more educated. We're all becoming more educated. And so if it is not physically you saying that this is your product, people who are fans of you probably won't buy it like true fans probably won't buy it because they want to support you. They don't want to send money to somebody else who's not affiliated with you and give them money. I think it's only a scam because it's nascent and we don't know what's going on. 
It's kind of like, you know, you want to support Scarlett Johansson, but you're going to your local barber. I do. And buy, I do too. I do. Daniel, I really do. Daniel you, let, you love Scarlett Johansson? Me too. Me too. Me, me too. too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So you want to go get this bootleg version of Black Widow? Or are you going to like go to the theaters and help support her box office numbers? Right. It's the same thing. Like people have been hustling forever. But this hustle's just new, and so it's getting people. But the more we go into the future, the more people will understand uh, what is legitimate and what is not. And the perks of NFTs, the the positive sides, is that it can be set up relatively easily to actually benefit the artists more than most of the things they're doing right now. Like ScarJo, if you're listening, we know you are. She gets money off that box office. That was that whole crazy lawsuit. She's going to get money off the box office. So few other people have that ability to make money after the fact. She has a suite of lawyers and accountants and managers and companies tracking down so that after Black Widow goes out to the world, she can still get some money back. And it's this huge complicated thing going out companies. People got to track that down. Their whole job is to get ScarJo's money back into her pocket for the rest of her life, plus 75 years after death. We don't have that luxury right now. No one's running around tracking down pennies for Trevor. But with NFTs, the real perk of it is that suddenly everyone has access to that without any of the overhead because you can set it up for every additional sale, for every additional whatever. In the simple line of code, 10% goes back to the That code is getting my money. BMI ain't doing that. Yeah. That code will. (laughs) <laughs> and so suddenly you have access so that when someone would buy an NFT of my music or whatever it is, or a ticket to one of our concerts through Coda Labs, you would actually be directly supporting me more so than, you know, even going on to Bandcamp. They're still taking a cut. All these other people are taking a cut. The real perk of NFT in the positive sense is that you can actually support the artist. So with Hit Piece, one of the... <laughs> One of the funniest comments was something like it was getting shared in the one of the Facebook groups, like make pop music. I swear it was everywhere the the first couple of days that this kind of dropped. And everyone, rightfully so, is just shitting on this. Like, who is this? What 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 kind of big old scam is this? Like, let's take it down. Is this legal? And everyone, NFT and kill the rainforest and and all these other things. One of my favorite comments was like, yo, if if this person's able to sell my song for a hundred bucks, I'd actually like to like figure out who's buying that and like learn about that. <laughs> that's, that's like, like that's more that's more than I that's more than they'll ever make off their song on Spotify across ten years if they're just starting out. So like, hey, like if they're able to do it, I want to learn how to how to do that. Uh, unless you are a major artist whose whose fans would be prone to this, you're a Taylor Swift, you're a Metallica, you're one of these other things. They have the abilities to go and shut this down. But also, if you're in that earlier stage of your career, even the middle of the career, you can run around with this hammer to kind of bat down all these like annoying scam, like little little prairie dogs poking out of the ground. But I think that's just going to drain your your time. Going in and trying to immediately sell your NFTs without having cultivated those fans, it's not going to make that big of a difference at this stage. You got to be on the lookout, but it's just like, look out for the noise. NFTs are going to be a part of your career, a part of your future. And we think 
and firmly believe it will be in the positive sense. Can we talk about just some of like the misconceptions just really quickly? Before yeah, let's burn day. through them really quick. Yeah, yeah. So one of the benefits, and I think more people know about the, the negatives and the non-issues. So actually, let's just start with the, the negative. It wastes energy, right? NFTs? Well, not really, actually. Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Like energy generation is very complex and it's nuanced. Our energy grid, and by our, I mean the US, it often has energy surpluses, especially with natural gas. So much surpluses that they actually undergo like this process called natural gas flaring in places where they have excess, like let's say you're refining oil and one of the processed byproducts and, and wastes is methane. They'll just flare that out by like burning it into the atmosphere. If you have more natural gas on supply and you can't make room for more, they flare it. They literally burn it into the atmosphere. This happens in North Dakota. And so what, you know, proof of work mining rigs like Bitcoin and Kadena and Ethereum 1.0 right now is they utilize that electricity that is going to waste. That energy that would otherwise end up in the atmosphere burned would actually be used to facilitate a network of monetary systems and also of like NFTs, which is really, really cool. It makes our energy grid much more efficient. It also does so because oftentimes, you know, if you look at the demand curve for energy over the course of a day, it peaks around times when people get off work, like 5 p.m. to like 9 p.m. But after 9 p.m., the energy consumption drops off a cliff. However, proof of work and proof of stake and all these other blockchain networks go consistently. They hum along no matter what time. So they can ramp up their operations when people go to sleep because computers don't sleep. And so they're actually utilizing wind energy and hydroelectric energy that is otherwise not being utilized in the nighttime hours. So just it makes our systems more efficient. And also another thing, you know, with Ethereum is uh, Ethereum maintains NFTs and smart contracts, which is, you know, what we're talking about. It still uses proof of work. So a lot of people say that proof of work is really bad for the environment and it uses a lot of energy. But the truth is when you compare the amount of energy <laughs> that blockchains use as opposed to the legacy institutions, it actually isn't very comparable. I was reading this article by the International Youths Organization for Peace and Sustainability. And they talk about, um, they said something that was really interesting. So like cryptocurrency, traditional banks also consume energy to run their virtual transactions and physical transactions. The virtual transactions include the central server and digital security, whereas the physical transactions involve branches, ATMs, and they also have to consider the requirements for each branch, which require air conditioning, employees, computers. And additionally, traditional banks use physical currencies such as coins and bills. And to produce these coins and bills, they require energy, metals, ink, cotton, oil to transport those things, etc. So traditional banks consume as much, if not more energy than cryptocurrencies do, but that's not the conversation that's being had. So I really nah. urge people to engage in good faith conversations when it comes to energy consumption between these two different actors, right? 
And uh, the last point that I'll put on terms of energy consumption is that mining was largely done in China. Last year, China banned Bitcoin mining, Ethereum mining, and they use a lot of fossil fuels to generate electricity for these activities. Those miners didn't just stop mining. They left China and fled to areas with more renewable energy, like Iceland. Iceland uses hydroelectric, geothermic, solar energy. And what's really fascinating is that it's actually cheaper to use renewable energy. So the profit incentive for using renewable energy is inspiring miners to flee places that use fossil fuels because they're going to make more money mining their Bitcoin by doing so. And as of today, about 40% of all operations with Bitcoin are being mined from renewable sources. So it's important to do a little bit of research and understand the nuances of this conversation before outright like rejecting NFTs and their possible future. And I think a big thing too is that understanding that NFT is just a type of technology. It's a very specific thing and like what it does. Its application is of course huge, but NFTs aren't on Bitcoin. <laughs> like ETH is the biggest one. Ethereum is the biggest one for now. But so many other blockchains, you might have heard of Solana or Luna or uh, Icon. Icon, like like the one we're working on. Like there's so many other. There's hundreds and thousands of these. Like that, Tezos. Yeah, sorry. Like that no, no, like like that are out there. And because of the whole proof of stake system and because they came out later and were able to like set fundamentally better, more efficient methods, they all have NFTs too. It's not associated with this one. And they have very little footprints compared to almost <laughs> anything we see in the known world that does what these things do. I think we've we've really hit home some of the like kind of security and fraud issues with NFTs and how they can be positives. We'll still see them. This isn't the first one. You're gonna it's gonna pop up. So just like going about your day in current reality, you're on the lookout. You'll be aware of the situation. Being more educated on this space allows you to travel through the space more efficiently and allows you to avoid some of these frauds. So it's made by humans. It's written by humans. We're bringing in industries that we are doing now off the blockchain, onto the blockchain. It's going to bring in some of those negative aspects. That should not be a surprise. But what we try to do and what we encourage more artists to come on board and be a part of the space is that because it's so early, you really can help shape the future of where this tech goes, of who's in charge, of who, you know, who's going to leave the gates open instead of closing them behind this. With NFTs, you're going to have bad things like hit piece. But I think one of the things to, to really drill home and why you should be around it, besides that there's some perks either financially for you or you can stake your claim or you can have a voice in the future of this technology, is that we're heading there whether you like it or not. <laughs> if we look back at almost everything, social media coming out, yes, there's been a crap ton of problems with social media. There's also been a lot of good. We wouldn't be having this conversation without the advent of, of social media. We'd be playing some orchestra or something else. Like we wouldn't be doing Speak what for yourself, doing. man. I don't <laughs> think I'd be employed. Man, I'd I, be. <laughs> we'd, be, we'd be going out, we'd be doing something else, but also, you know, emails are oh, the internet. No one's going to want this. It's just going to be a fad. And yet now it's one of the most critical things of our lives. So if it's like there's always a resistance 
to some new technology. And I think it's just important that with this one, unlike some of those other bits of technology, you really can have a say in the direction that it goes. NFTs and like the ability to have that uniqueness stamp onto anything is when we get in towards the metaverse, when we get in towards other aspects. We are at the point where our digital versions of ourselves have slowly become more important than the physical versions of ourselves, which is spooky. It's some matrix shit. It's, yeah, it's where I we're at. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I'm not a fan. And, and so it is this weird thing to be aware of and be concerned. But I mean, that's just something where NFTs come into place because you see it now with people with personas on Twitch. They embody a character. You see it now with just humans on Instagram or on Facebook. They're concerned more about the digital versions of themselves. So when you get in towards metaverse land and other things, they want the digital versions of their art. They want their digital house in their digital neighborhood. That's a reflection of like their stature and people are going to care about it more. That's spooky and it's a problem. But I think if you're aware that that's likely the current trajectory of where we're heading and NFTs are going to have a part of that, meta and all these other things are going to have a part in that. I think if you can just be aware of this direction, doing research now, getting in on the ground early, shape that in a positive light and to avoid it, us taking, I guess, the turn down the dark side of things mm-hmm. is where all of this is going to kind of come together. And so we just, we urge you, do some reading, ask questions, get involved now so that you can be a part of the conversation. Uh, unlike hit piece, they're listening. <laughs> they're listening right now. So, well, I mean, so I just wanted to wrap up and just say, like, thank you so much for listening. Like, this is a conversation. This podcast is a conversation. Come join us in Discord. Let's talk about it some more. I think that one of the most important aspects of being an entrepreneur is equipping yourself and arming yourself with knowledge and educating yourself. Knowledge is power, and. Yes, you'll never know everything, but when you have more knowledge, you can see more opportunity. Where you can see more opportunity, you can earn more money that you can delegate towards your freedom. And that's what we're all here about, right? Having the freedom to pursue our lives as artists, independent of whether or not somebody has a profit incentive to like hire you and, and, and <laughs> take advantage of you. So we're all about freedom here. Thanks again for listening, folks. And tune for the next episode on Spotify. Spotify? Yeah. Spotify? Spotify. (laughs) I have something to say about Hit Peace. Let's hear it. Get that garbage out of here!